Welcome to Belief Beat, where we talk about things that matter with people who matter. I'm John Horner Eibler, one of the pastors at Unity, and I'm this week's host. Pandemic. George Floyd. These things are not just the news, they're our lives right now, and for some of us, they have been life for a long time. How's that possible, given that COVID-19 just emerged in the last couple of months? Well, there, there have been other pandemics before. Let's say, for example, that you grew up black in the American South and then contracted polio as a child. That would mean you experienced two of the hardest things imaginable in our society. Growing up in a place where the color of your skin not only worked against you, but uh, endangered you. Though I'd guess many black Americans would say that's everywhere in our country, not just the South and then contracting a disease that everyone feared and at the time for which uh, treatment options were so limited. So this is the life story of the community minister at Cross Lutheran Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Easter Death Row. Easter, welcome to Belief Me. Thank you. Good to see you, uh, uh, Pastor John. Uh, Easter, you, you just have an amazing life story, and you do such valuable work here week after week with the people of Cross and the people from the Cross neighborhood. So we're never even going to get close to getting to the bottom of all the stuff that we could talk about. But uh, let's just start with your name. I've never met anyone named Easter before other than you. Uh, well, tell us where your name comes from. Well, I was born on Easter. And, and my mother, she decided to name me Easter. My name is really Easter Earl Deathrow. Okay. And uh, I never know too much about that name, but she set me down one day and she explained how the, the, uh, important Easter is. And she gave me the reason how Jesus died and rose and, and Good Friday and all of that. Yeah. And she told me I'll always be special no matter what. And What a uh, cool thing to say to your kid. <laughs> so I, just, I uh, carried that, but at the age of three... I contracted polio in the South. Wow. Uh, and um, we were so kind of far out in the country, yeah. country part. And back in those days, you know, they we didn't, uh, with no doctors around too much. Most people, most of the family members would either go in the woods, get some kind of medicine or do something for you if you're sick, sick enough. But I was, I got so sick my mom had to find a doctor, take me to the doctor. Yeah. And she, yeah. she took me, got somebody to, uh, to get me to the hospital. And they said, if I hadn't got there that uh, a, a day after, I would have been a uh, vegetable. Because uh, you were having such trouble breathing? Yeah, in my lungs and polio had got in me and I didn't know it. And right. nobody knew it. Wait, uh, no, so let's back up. So what 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 day is your birthday? Uh, uh April 9th. So April 9th, 1950 mm -hmm. was Easter. Well, Easter. Mm -hmm. And three years later, mm -hmm. and like the, the vaccines, I, if I remember correctly, were discovered in like 54, 55. Mm -hmm. So you're before that. Mm -hmm. And do you remember any of this at all? Or is this? Yeah, I remember. You do. I remember, remember being mm -hmm. sick. Mm -hmm. And so you get super sick, and your mom has to find she had to a doctor. Yeah, she had to find one. And I'm and we I may I never forget this doctor's name. It's, he was a, he was a uh, his name was Doctor Robert Burnett. He was a neurologist, 
ah, at the okay. hospital. And he came in and he saw me and checked me and he said, I he didn't have to do that either because back in those days, they didn't really take good care of black kids uh, back in those days. Yeah. I was wondering ways. about that. Yeah. Yeah. But he said, we need to take him to Memphis, Tennessee. I don't know and how. Wait, and, and where are you? I'm in Jackson, Tennessee. Okay. I'm from Jackson, Tennessee. Okay, so, okay. So he took, so in some kind of way, he got the ambulance from the hospital to take me to a hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. At the time, it was named John Gaskin Hospital. And he said, I need to be need to be in an iron lung for a few years. So for they, a few years? Mm-hmm. So they, I, I lived at an iron lung in John Gaskin Hospital for maybe three, four years, maybe. And, and, uh, and you're a little kid. Little kid, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're living in an iron lung. For, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't even imagine that. But my mom, you know, she, uh, with the kind of work she was doing, she was... Taking care, we uh, worked there as a maid, taking care of families and stuff, and and and, and on our knees, mixed to the floor. This, this, I don't know how she made it over to Memphis, because Memphis is eighty miles from Jackson, Tennessee, and she got me. She came to see me, and I remember asking her one time, you know, I'm just a little boy. I wonder how. I wonder why God got me sick like this, and. I'm not even old enough to done been out in the world and got in no trouble. Yeah, yeah. And she always said, don't worry about it. It's God going to take care of you. He's going to make sure you all right. Yeah. So I kind of so ran on that. But uh, after I got, after I did get out, after I got out, I mean, it's just like a village, you know, just, just most of black people trying to take care of each other the yeah. best they could. Yeah. And, uh, so can I interrupt? So you get out of the iron lung. Mm-hmm. I had to be You've about been seven. in there for years. Mm-hmm. Like, can you even walk at this point? No, or? they had to learn me because I was laying down so much. Right. And they had to learn me how to walk all over again because I took all my strength. Because you couldn't do nothing but just turn your head. And then if you had to go to the bathroom, they would get you out and run you in the bathroom right quick and put you right back in. Because that iron lung, he had, them, had those pipes. Those ventilators, that's what it was, ventilators. And it breathed because my lungs was, had the polio on and it was just all, you know, like that. And uh, I lived like that, oh, Lord, see, like it was forever. And um, I stayed there for about three, maybe three, four years because I had to be about six or seven when I when they finally let, let me out. And the doctor told me this. He was a white doctor. His name was Dr. Robert Burnett. I never forget yeah. him. He was a great yeah. doctor. And he just decided back in those days, because you couldn't, uh, white, uh, I mean, folks just didn't take care of you, do, do stuff for you like that back in those days. Right. But he did. And he said and told me, me and my mom, i never forget it. When I was getting out, he said, now, you got to wear these braces. You got to, you got to, uh, not be around no lot of dust. He said, you can't be doing no uh, playing too much and all that. And I said, man, I said to myself, I said, I didn't say it to him, uh, my mom either. I said, how in the world? I said, I've been in all this stuff all these years. I said, how in the world I'm going to be able to live like this? But one, that, but, but me and my mother, she decided 
to take me to the zoo over there before we got home. Uh-huh. That was kind of a treat. Mm-hmm. And she bought me this parrot that you blow it like a whistle. Oh, yeah. And I didn't know my lungs had got that good, uh, good enough. I blowed that, I mean, I blowed that uh, uh, parrot so long, and there was a big cop standing over there. She said, if you blow that parrot one more time, I'm going to tell that cop on you. <laughs> and I didn't, but she. She must have been awful glad you yeah, could do it, yeah, though. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she saved my life. When I got home, all the kids was outside playing football. Yeah. And I was, and I had all these braces on and all this stuff. And I said, Mama, could I go out and play? She said, boy, didn't you hear what the doctor told you? I said, I know, Mama, but I said, but I, I just want to, I said, can I just play for an hour? So she wouldn't, she, I begged her for about an hour, a couple of hours. She finally said, you take this, take all, everything off. And she said, I want you to go out there. And I mean, you better not be out there no longer than about an hour. Now, I always say this story because I don't know, this go for white or black. I'm trying to, I always try to think if I was anybody kid that been through an ordeal like that, would they would let their kid up or would they let me just suffer it out and, and not being able to feel like I can do something? But she decided to let me go. And they were playing football. I walked out there in the middle of the field. It was one kid on the sideline that they, that they that had nobody picked. I told myself, I just got out the hospital I said, I'm going to play football. I said, if you don't, the game is not going on no more. And one of the kids, he, he was my best, why not be my best friend? He said, well, okay, come on. And they picked the other guy. And I'm telling you, now I don't know, and I always bragged on my mama. Because in this go, like I said, it's go for black and white. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if she was standing in the window while I was playing, because the field was right across. I don't know if she was standing in the window, John, and watching and see how I was doing. Because I'm telling you, I played football until it was time to come in with the rest of the kids. And, and you could. Mm-hmm, I mean, That's I found myself. And then I learned how to play football. And my wind was getting better as I was yeah. running and stuff. And it just feels so good to get tackle or to be in on a tackle i'm telling you and my mama didn't come out there once i know she she seen me yeah but anyway this is the god knows truth i had all them braces and everything when i came in through the back door she was standing at the kitchen the kitchen sink washing dishes she didn't look around at me she said Boy, go and clean yourself up. It's time to eat dinner. She still didn't look. I was scared as I don't know what, nervous. Yeah. And so I looked in the corner where my braces and things that I don't know what she did with it. She put them away. From this day to this one, John, she let me just grow on up yeah. like I was. And we sat at the kitchen table eating, me and her. And I was scared she was going to say something. She didn't say nothing about it, and I didn't either. Yeah. So she just let me just run 
and she let me just go for it and everything. And this is what I turned out to be. And uh, I'll never forget her. If she hadn't did that, John, I would have been a cripple. Yeah, yeah. I would have been a cripple. But she did that she for just, me. She did that for me. So imagine how she... So assuming she was watching you, she must have been just... Scared. Del- well, but also I was like a, just delighted to see that... Wow. The boy she had... Mm-hmm. Well, she sure worked saved... Worked so hard to keep mm-hmm. alive for four mm-hmm. years and mm-hmm. like she have saved a normal me. life. Mm-hmm. I never got a chance to tell her before she passed away either. And I went home a lot of time before she passed. But I never brought it up. And so I just didn't say nothing about it. But she kept... She did that for me. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And out of all the things that she could have did for me growing up, that was... Uh, the best thing she could have did for me. Yeah, yeah. She made me feel like I was okay, and uh, they didn't have the vaccine and stuff in my where I come from. Wasn't no vaccine. And you think your kids tubes, I mean, cubes and stuff? We didn't have none yeah, of that. Yeah, so Dr. Barnett, Dr. Robert Barnett, uh, he really was a good doctor. And so, you know, and from then, well, from then though. The way I feel about, even though, see, I never got a chance to go to school with a white kid in my whole life. Really? Never. Wow. No, it, 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 uh, segregation and all that stuff in my hometown didn't come in, to, and it really was still bad. It came in around about 68 in my hometown. Uh-huh. That's how, mm-hmm. I remember the first time, I remember when Martin Luther King was over in Memphis, when he got killed over Memphis, killed, right. but the kids that started to marching and stuff, uh, uh, going into Woolworth and these different places and getting beat up and spit on at the counter and putting out and all that. And so some kind of way I got involved in that. And we passed this one restaurant and they wanted me to go in and buy a cup of coffee and a hamburger. And I said, how did I get it in the middle of all this stuff? And yeah. it's supposed to, everybody, I mean, white folks are really, would, uh, it was really terrible. Yeah. yeah. So it was a little old white lady with behind the, behind the counter. And I said, ma'am, excuse me. I said, it's a lot of stuff going on right now. And I said, oh, you see all them folks out there? They want me to come in and have a, have a, a hamburger and a cup of coffee. And I said, I promise you, I will be out of here in two or three minutes. She said, she said, you ain't got to, just out the blue. She said, you don't have to do that. I drank that cup coffee, I bet you, in two minutes. Double that doggone burger down, because nobody never did that in my home. Right, right. Nobody never did that. And it was like this. So I went back outside, and everybody was talking about race thing. But I think with me personally, wasn't for uh I had a little even though as bad as it is, and I know this sounds different, it's a different take. But I would think I always think about Dr. Robert Barnett, how well he treated me yeah. and what how he, he did, he'll never know it. I can get a chance to tell him. I would have told him. But And you have no idea why he did it. Mm-mm. No, and I was just a little black, raggedy kid. Yeah. And he did at all. Because when I was over in the, in the hospital, it had to be around about, I guess around about 12 or 13 white kids was in the hospital there in the Iron Lawn, too. 
And uh, and you were the only black guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. huh. I said, I wonder how. Well, I, you know, I, it, it, you know, it really was. A, it's amazing to me now. But you know where I feel about it. It's a lot of, lot of people I know. Got this real hardcore feeling about white folks. I mean, really hardcore. Just like white people feel about black people. Black yeah. people feel the same way. Yeah. But I remember. Being in school, because I went to a special school the first three or four years with kids that had disabilities and stuff like that. And uh, the first book I ever read, and I just about know it by heart, a lady named Helen Keller. All right. I read right. about her. She was such a inspiration person. And then I, I read some stuff about, I don't know how we want to learn about a lot of stuff about me coming from where I come from. And I read about Jesse Owen, a lady named Wilma Rudolph. She had the polio in one of her legs. And Did she, she really? I yeah, didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And huh. she wound up being one of the fastest right. runners right. you ever want to see. And I would just, cause you know, I was just uh, searching around because my mom always told me, uh, and part of it's her, and I'm part of, I might be a different, might be a different uh, uh, person that they really have this with. Maybe you, maybe because the way I'm, the way I look at it, is is my mom always told me, if you can't be number good, be that. No matter what, no matter what the situation is, no matter what you do. When I was growing up, you you couldn't never you couldn't go through a front door and order anything. You even went to jail. You you had to be in a separate jail and all all this stuff. That's the way I grew up with all of that going on. And um, but I learned something about that's the way it were back in those days. That was really hurtful. And really shameful, and then it, it made. Sometimes it made me feel like you know, I, uh, I just wasn't part of, of what's going on. And then I heard, then I read some stuff about slavery, and how much work, how much backbreaking, and all of this, and how people got sold, and and you never see your sister or brother, and all that stuff. I said, I wonder what. I said, man, you know, and. People used to pray. That's why black people pray so much because that's the only thing they had to work with was prayer yeah. and God and, and stuff like that. But everything else. But you know, I read a piece when Harriet Tubman and all these folks, nobody never said too much about this. Because everybody split up and it's so one-sided and everybody got their own things and stuff. But Harriet Tubman, when she would go in the South and get folks through the Underground Railroad and all of that, they had all of these Quaker people, white people. There's no way in the world she would have got though most of those people up north they was in they had a place here they make it to this place rest up eat yeah. and they go to the next place 
and they had people and it was dangerous and it was dangerous for them and so then I thought to think well you know we all is in this in a lot of ways together you can't lump everybody it's sad we lumped everybody together just like if you see me you know me and I have another person come up got a bald head he's a big black man like me huh? you should be able to, to identify me different from this other guy and the only way you can do that you have to know people Isn't you have to know them but if you don't get chat, if you don't know a person if you don't know a person you would just lump everybody together. Yeah. Then people started turning to human beings. Just like you, John, you're, you're a white person. Now, if I didn't take up a little time with you from time to time, if you walked in a room with 50 white men, you would just be 50 white men. Yeah. And that's it. But now you don't turn into a person. And you don't have to be so afraid of me. I don't have to be so afraid of you. And this world would be so much better with all this marching, the reason all this marching is, it's not so much a, a, a them statues and all of that. The monument is us. We all took a stake in this country. Yeah. We all got a stake. This, this country was built on a whole lot of different things. It was. So the it, it, way I look at it, you just don't have to always be over God and everything else. That's how I look, I, call, I look at it like that. You don't have to be over God. And what I mean, you don't have to be a master anymore. Just be who you are and be a good person. And people will fight with you. People will go down with you on anything instead of fighting against you. Just make a person feel, because I think we all earned it to be here, to be in this country. We earned it. I mean, how can you do it another way? What human being would be ugly like that? It just, it just, and you know, I think about some of these churches, Lord knows, and I'm not being stepping on nobody's toes or anything or trying to be disrespectful. But some of these churches, I mean, I feel so sad with some of these big churches and stuff because they will not take time to read the part about Jesus and God about thy brother. Uh, it's, it's more than just feeding a person. It's knowing a person and knowing God got it all. And I've been through some so much stuff you would just, I, I never will be able to get to it with you. But <laughs> I'm just saying, but as a human being, and I appreciate you uh, asking me to do this, but as a human being, I hope we, some kind of way, pull this all of this hatred and everything, and we got some terrible people. It, it's not a day pass out here by some black man that got shot, and they still hanging us yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, and is and but people is now. Is just whichever way it go, they just ready to go like that now. They just done had enough, enough, and all these things. The people learning about stuff. I wish, I wish they would uh, uh, put in school 
put in school some of these kids, because there's some great kids, black and white. I wish the kids could read about some of the, some of the other folks in the United States in, in the, that came from slavery and stuff. So they're going to be well-rounded when they get up grown and get out in the world. Like your wonderful sons. They done been out in the world. And they know kind of done seen some, seen some stuff. Like David and Michael and them. They know. Yeah. And uh, I was just, and I was proud to know them. They never treated me no different. Even one of the kids, uh, thank David, David got an A uh, writing, uh, writing about he me. He did. Thanks I'll, to you, Easter. I'll never... I'll never forget that. I always gave David and Michael the best I can. I mean, that just, and I'm glad I'm different. And I'm glad I'm a, you know, but we all as brothers in Christ. Well, now we're just scratching the surface, but I'm often struck in the, in the stories of Jesus, how I think what he, what was so unique about him was that he did treat each person as an individual. He mm -hmm. never grouped them mm -hmm. into the groups. And mm -hmm. so, he could see the tax collector, Zacchaeus, as an individual. He could see the Roman centurion as an individual. He could see the women as individuals. And, you know, that's what you just said. I, I mean, we, we just group people, and then that's where all the, the racism and everything else comes from. Uh, can I just go back and, and ask you about, uh, well, first, did, has the polio, people can't, you don't know, you can't see it. Uh, has any part of the polio affected you for the rest of your life physically? Well, I will have polio until I pass, go to heaven. I'm not, and I'm okay with that. And with all of this pandemic stuff going on, and I try to watch myself as best I can. I try not to be around a lot of folks they asked about me now because when I even at my job, I set up everything and then I'm gone. Then I'm because there's too many people that I don't want to so be. So you around. are you're being super cautious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, but, we're by the way recording this and we're both wearing masks. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just uh, kind of watched myself. The more going on with you, the more you for to watch yourself. You don't for the and uh, and by me having the polio and that let me know you cannot take. Things for granted. You can't do it. And for granted would mean, just like I always know that I have polio and I had an illness ever since I was a kid. And I never really got so far past. It just like, I feel like God let me have a broken wing so I can't fly too high. <laughs> Kind of like Paul's thorn in the flesh. Just a little bit, maybe. It just came flat too high. And it keeps me grounded. And uh, and I, like I said, polio have a lot of way I look at life, where my perspective on life. I'm not an angry black man. I'm not, a, I don't hate. I just take you for where you are. Now, if you come at me, and I be praying sometimes, I go to these different churches. I say, I hope, don't know, some jerk gets to me talking crazy to me. I always say it like that. I said, because when they talk like that, they don't know better. Because I might be a decent guy to know. You know, other than... You might be. <laughs> other than the skin God made me. And you know, I always think, like I said, about the, about the church, 
When they look for Jesus, when you want to find Jesus, you always found Jesus in the poorest part of the town or on the hillside somewhere. You couldn't find Jesus up by Pharaoh them and, and, and all these people. He just didn't hang out with them. And I still said this, coming from me, being a black man. I still would live in downness, regardless how it come out, how things come out, or whatever happened. Jesus know what's going on. He made it, and I know yes, he, he does. and I know he was smart enough. He just, I think, he, he he do things for us to learn from. He do it because if he could have, I don't know what this world would have been like if everybody would have been white. It wouldn't have been no, it really no. would have been no challenge. And I tell young people. I love, I, and these folks at the bread are hitting down here at, at the church. Young white kids, some of the best kids I ever met. And I tells them, people don't have to stay on your street, but it sure feel good when you leave home and go out in the world and somebody know you more than just your people. I said, yeah, and can love you and treat you so good and stuff like that, and you can treat them and expose you, and you are just, I said, don't feel like you are different from the world because you are not. People have to love you like they love me or anybody else. You want to feel good. Don't be all like that. So that's my role in being a, a, being a, a person of color. My role is to try to, every person I meet, I try to give them some, give them some, if they allow me to. If they, right. and, and not lot, everybody does, mm -hmm. obviously. But a lot of their parents, see, a lot of these older guys, folks, they teach these kids, it's so sad, they teach these kids to hate and all of that stuff. And you too good to know somebody live in Paris. Or you too good to know somebody live in Africa. Or you don't fool the, you know, all of that. And that's awful sad. I mean, this is older, just the older bunch. Cause a lot of these, a lot of these young kids, they don't, they don't. I, I know, I noticed that because I be around, work with a lot of different people, and I notice all those young folks don't feel like that. They'll speak to you. Yeah. They'll speak to you before you speak to them. And I ain't used to that. <laughs> and I know I seen my grandfather one time, and I asked him when I was around about seven years old. I had to get out the hospital. He was out in the field plying with his mule on Mr. Rutherford's, I think Mr. Rutherford them land. This young kid, me and him, was playing and stuff, throwing football and doing something. But anyway, he came up because my grandfather had this big old cold pail of water. And uh, he asked my grandfather something. And my grandfather looked at him and said, yes, sir. And that crushed me in a way. And I and uh, he said that to this kid. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, he said yes, sir. So and he I, had to and be I asked him. Respectful mm -hmm. to I asked him, why did you? I said, Grandpa, why you why you why you say yes, sir to to Tommy? Boy, let me tell you something. That's where you have to be to get along. And I took that. 
Mm, I took that in a way that I couldn't tell nobody. I just took it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never would let Tommy outplay me playing baseball or football. I would never let him do that. He got mad a couple of times at me, and he stopped speaking. He stopped coming by. But just by him saying that, what he said, it just almost... But my grandfather, back them days, I, we were six and seven, and my grandfather had to be about 55 or something. Right. Like just that. Like and he said, told me, he bent down and said, look, that's the way you have to do to get along. And that's all the words he told me. So I'm kind of, you know, just certain things. It's a long story, but it's a, it's, 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 it's a, a lot of things happened, and uh, through my life, and I was really been a fight ever since way back then. Struggle, this all this stuff going on now. I'm used to it, <laughs> to march. But one thing I'm not used to is this. It's so many doggone white kids in them marches with them black folks. I never seen nothing like it before. I don't know what God doing. He got us all in this COVID stuff. He got a race ride almost going all over this country. The president about to split this whole country, just being honest with you. And he don't, I don't think he know how to pull it together. If he could, uh, says some decent words. It don't take much, but says some decent words to people. Just a little, John. Not, I ain't saying a whole lot, but just says something. Come up with some words that would go across everybody's, everybody, and you could feel much better. Because folks today feel like they're killing us all anyway. Don't you think it's true? I mean, I think people really would like to be united. Mm -hmm. This is worse than the 60s. And what black women do, and black men, now, if you got a kid six or seven years old, you tell them how to, when you leave home, if the police stop you at six years old, you said, yes, sir, let them take your arms out, go on, let them take you to jail. And this one kid was five. Police was coming down the street in the car. Little kid jumped behind that doggone uh, truck and was shaking like this because they were playing on the sidewalk. Yeah, yeah. And he was just afraid. Mm -hmm. I mean, because the, uh, the, everybody, they know, they, uh, they said uh, most policemen is real racist, Klansmen and all of that. And uh, Klansmen, those people just really amazing, remarkable, the things they do. And I don't know how in the world they think they're getting to heaven, but I, I, they just think it. No, they yeah. just think. They really yeah. got to think they got it together. Yeah, they think they're actually doing a good thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they, they just don't know. And I know one thing, John, we all got to be in account. Every man and woman has got to be an account for what they do on this earth. They got to. No matter how it come out, what you got to. I think God just in charge of all of that. Where you go, when you call on what you did and how you presented yourself, 
on this earth. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you've been doing a pretty good job of that for 70 years, Easter. I've been and, trying, John. And your work at this church and in this community continues to Thank you. serve a lot of people. And I hope open some doors and change some hearts because it's one person at a time. Eh? Well, I hope anybody hear what we said today, John. I hope somebody gets something out of it. At least if it ever one person gets something out of it. And I think that's the reason I be like I am today because of my journey. And why would I be so angry and mad if I had a journey just like I'm telling you? It's not you. Don't well, you could be. I mean, yeah, I could be, but that seemed like that just take too much energy. Uh, mm -hmm. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. Anger takes a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And I think you give out more than you can put in. You know, the more you give out, the more you get yeah. back. Mm -hmm. So it's enough what? folks mad and angry and hurt enough. I don't have to be one of them like that. So yeah. Well, let's let's stop there. We've got, okay. We've got years of conversation, but mm -hmm. uh, I just so appreciate you being a part of this Thank podcast. You. Thank you. And thanks to anybody who is listening in, and join us again sometime soon uh, for Belief Beat. Yeah. Bye for now. <laughs> uh, thank you, John. <laughs>